So thank you all for coming out tonight. Um, we're going to con continue with our series of Jesus Remember Me, Lent and the Body. And tonight I'm going to share um, a reflection of my own story, what Oprah Winfrey calls, I think she has a series now called, like, What Happened to Me? And so I'm going to share what happened to me in my body in this um, spirit-filled journey, right? Like we get this opportunity to be here in a body. And so I'll share a little bit of my story. And so I'll draw your attention to the screen. That's me, and I'm about, I'm not, I'm prob not more than 25 years old. I, I don't remember how old I was. I think I'm maybe 21. Um, that's me in the middle. And um, that's me at Dance Theater of Harlem. I'm in the studio with a friend. And dance was my passion. Dance was everything. So, but I'm pretty sure I walked into the ballet studio for the first time confident in my body. I grew up in a family. I was one of four children. I was loved and affirmed. Um, I lived in a community that um, told me I was beautiful, told me I was talented, told me I was loved. But when I walked into that studio, things changed for me. Movement had always been like this spiritual language for as long as I can remember. And I loved, like I said, to dance. When lessons weren't available to me, I taught myself from books that I borrowed from the library. I kid you not, picture me, little Alicia, maybe eight, nine years old, local library, getting every, I read every book on ballet from my local library. And I taught myself on the banister of the staircase in, on the third floor of my building, every day after school on the little wooden banister, some book, me teaching myself. And so this was independent study, like driven by love, right? Um, it was all heart, and so I taught myself. I had no mirrors, no teachers, so no other words coming in. It was just me emulating what I saw, and ballet was beautiful to me, and I saw myself in it, I was doing it. Well, as it turns out, I had some natural ability, but by the time I found my way to a professional class at the age of 16, so this did not happen until I was 16 years old, from eight to 16, eight years, me just kind of exploring on my own. I found a, a group that I worked with um, at an after-school program, but it wasn't a professional program. Like It was kind of five, six, seven, eight, dance, right? But not a professional program. So. By the time I got to this kind of space, um, something else took over. Um, and there was a message. And the message was that I was not enough. My body was not enough. It was not good enough. It was not fast enough. It was not strong enough. And it would never be. Now, I'll be honest, for me, I'm fortunate because in the, the culture and the, the studio that I was trained in, it was a relatively he healthy environment. Most of, um, I was never bodily shamed or anything like this. This was internal messages that I got from this, the image of what a dancer should look like. 
you know, and we were all aspiring to it. We all were affected by it in one way or another. And so you see like someone like Misty Copeland who has, this is the ideal body, the tiny little head on this long neck and this like perfectly, art like ridiculously articulated legs and feet. Um, but this, is, this was the image, and this is a new, an even newer image. The image, if you look over time, it changes, right? But this is the latest version of what we're aspiring towards. And so I worked so, so hard. Um, like I said, the, the message I got, the ultimate message was, my body can't do it, it won't do all I ask of it, no matter how hard I work and no matter how hard I try. To be clear, like I said, I was very, very fortunate and the studio I worked, I trained in was a relatively healthy environment, but this was all internal. Um, I realized that I was um, kind of raised in a sense, formed in front of a mirror. And so I spent hours, years looking at myself, critiquing myself, being critiqued by teachers. Um, that critical eye, like I said, of the mirror and of teachers, it was just ever present. And it told me I was not good enough, that my body was not good enough, that I would never achieve those high expectations. I would not achieve that perfection, that ideal. My body had limitations. And one of the things that I learned as a dancer that was that for, for me, those things were not things that would change, right? This is the way I was born, right? Um, I was not born with the long admired um, high arches or with great flexibility in my feet. And so I was a lovely dancer and I could move and express, but my feet could not do this. Um, my extension was decent, but it could be better. My calves were too thin, not as developed as my teachers or I wanted them to be. I would at the time describe myself as someone, however, with a healthy sense of self-esteem. Like if you'd asked me that then, I'd say that I had a healthy sense of self-esteem. But what was growing in me um, was this deep-seated dissatisfaction with my body. I'd find out over time that I had an extra bone in my ankle and it's called ostrogonum. And having it limits the range of motion in your ankles. And it often inflamed because of the dancing that I was doing, but still, I worked on it and used something called a foot stretcher. It's this ancient piece of torture equipment, <laughs> right? right? Um, I used it every single day, um, trying to get these perfectly um, articulated arches. And because I was a dancer, I smiled through it all. I knew how to stand up into it and look good and happy and at peace with my body. I looked like I was someone who was completely body positive and confident when inside I really was not. Um, I was formed by sayings like, you're not working hard enough if you don't have the taste of blood in your mouth, right? Like that's the kind of things my ballet teachers would say. And it wasn't in an evil way, but this is just the culture. Like this is how you gotta grind. And so I did these things and pushed myself um, I'd say that most dancers struggle with their bodies, right? But we are celebrated for our grace and strength, but our bodies are also critiqued in such unnatural and unhealthy ways. 
you'd, you'd hear people say things like, if her neck was just a bit longer, or her feet could use more of an arch, or puberty did her in. Did you see the size of those breasts? Like these were the kind of things you didn't want to develop, right? You didn't want to develop fully as a woman. You were always in that mirror and always critiquing yourself. The standards are changing a bit, I would say, but back then there was an ideal and we all strove for it. Um, growing like that, growing up like that in front of a mirror was just hard. And so ballet gave me this really critical eye and a certain aesthetic and lens from which I view the world even now. The vision it gave me is hypercritical, as I say, hypercritical of my body. So I'm just gonna go through these images, right, and tell you things like how I experienced this. This is a, me doing Arabian in Nutcracker. And I see this picture, most people would say, oh, that's so lovely. I see the picture and I go, you should, your heel should be a little further back and you gotta pull that up a little higher. Critique, right? This is one I would say, you should you look. That's me, the critical, right? Here, I look at this and again, again the heel. I shouldn't, you shouldn't see the heel. Gotta push it forward. And oh, I look a little hippy there. Hmm. This one I say, I, I'm proud of this one. I'm, I'm like, the line of my leg and my legs and feet look really nice. I'm kind of happy with that pleased. But this hypercritical thing, right? Like you might neither of you neither of you may have seen what I just pointed out, but this is how I saw them and would still say I see them. I continued to dance until I was dance professionally until I was about 32 and I found love and got married and let dancing go. But in the meantime, um, I got involved in dance ministry, liturgical dance. And oh my God, taking off those point shoes, one, freed my soul, right? <laughs> and I no longer had that problem in my, this inflammation in my ankles because I was doing this thing that was constantly um, irritating me. So dance ministry, let go the point shoes and I found freedom, right? We danced and we worked in community with such grace for each other. I tell people it's like the great British baking show. Do you remember that? Like where everybody just cheers each other on and they cry when somebody leaves and they'll help someone when they're failing. This dance ministry was like that. The women that I worked with um, filled with such grace um, I found it like to be a place of care, a place where my dancing body was free of those limitations and that critical voice that had just taken up residence in my head. Um, we strove for excellence, for sure, absolutely. And in some of the dance ministries I was in, there were pro professionally trained dancers. So we were going for excellence, but we made room for everybody, every body, right? So there was all shapes and sizes. No one was like, you're not good enough or you're not, something's wrong with you. You're too tall, you're too big, you're too small. Everybody. So it was and remains a, a healing space for me. Um, I was on the road, I would say, becoming a liturgical dancer 
put me on the road to healing. And so this is me. Like I said, I got, I found love and I got married and um, my husband and I wanted to have a family. We had a store um, in Brooklyn and we, we were newly married, wanted to have a baby. And we were very excited about that. So when that first pregnancy occurred, we were overjoyed. Um, I had had two major surgeries to remove um, non-cancerous tumors called fibroids. I had two of those surgeries before then. So we felt really happy and really lucky that we were in this space until I lost that baby at 14 weeks. And its heart stopped beating and I didn't know it. Like I went to a doctor's appointment and no baby, no life. So my body, to me, had failed me and failed our baby. So with this loss was awakened that voice again, right? That voice that I'd been working on healing and shutting up, the one that told me my body wasn't good enough. Well, it was back and with a vengeance. It told me my body wasn't good at all. This body couldn't sustain life. It could not function as intended by nature. I was not a life giver. My body was not good. So that's me on a trip to Puerto Rico after that first loss. And I was trying to find my way back to faith because I'll be honest, I was so mad at God. Like, I felt like my a best friend had betrayed me. I felt broken. I would take a moment to say that infertility and miscarriage are hard on Christian women. Jesus help us. There's just no space for you as a married woman to have trouble conceiving a baby. The biblical stories tell of women who struggle with this and they all overcome it. And so when you're not overcoming it, you're told to believe some more have a little more faith, keep trying. Well, I did that and I believed and I prayed, but after that loss, there were other losses and so many years of trying and praying and hoping and I was lost. After that miscarriage, I discovered that I had a clotting disorder that affected nothing in my body except a placenta. So it caused no other physical problems and that those tumors that I had removed, they'd grown back. So my body seemed to be in this active state of resistance to life. And despite what I may look like in most of my pictures, I was in a terribly dark space. Because remember, I know how to do this. I know how to do that, right? I learned in front of the mirror. I was trained by my teachers. And so I began my season of being the great aunt, right? This is me and all my friends with all their kids, and that's me holding my girlfriend's son in the back. Um, all my friends had kids. It was a hard time. There's my goddaughter, 
Rezwana, and this is my bonus son. I call him my, my bonus son. His, his name is Imani. He's Rodney's son from a previous relationship. Um, and so I dug into this, you know, um, this space of being the aunt. If I wasn't your child's godmother or favorite auntie, I felt like I wasn't doing my job. It was my job to do that, right? So I poured myself into loving other people's kids. But it was a hard time. And after a few years of it, my brokenness kind of settled in and the sense of bodily failure felt permanent. And so we move on a few years and you see me here with a bunch of kids. Look at that. So although Rodney and I had always talked about adoption, a part of my reluctance to it was feeling like I gave up, right? Like I'm not believing, so I'm giving up and I'm resigning, right? I'm resigning myself to the, another option. If I said yes to adoption, um, it meant I was a failure, that my body was a failure. It meant I'd accepted that my body would never work into me this you know, magical way. Adoption was a healing grace, but look at these pictures. So Imani, like I said, is my bonus son. Um, there's Lee Chai, and there's Ela, and there's Chaila. And I see these pictures and I show them to you and share them with you to like explain a little bit of how I was feeling at that time. Because although these are, like, like I said, oh my God, healing, right? Baby in the arms after so many years, healing. But at the same time, each child brought back that remembrance of, I needed someone else to do something my body could not. And I struggled with that. Each with each embrace of each child, it was that reminder was there, that voice um, that tells me I, my body can't, my body won't. So as I said, it was a healing grace, but I was still working through some stuff. And in my mind, I didn't parent without the bodily gift of another woman, right? And that was some hard stuff to, to work with. I began my parenting journey accepting that my body could or would not do this thing. And again, here I am with these limitations. I worked really hard during that time. Like, I feel like with each time, I just had to keep saying, like, Leisha, your body is good. You can mother these children. You can do it, you know? So the pictures, I, they show me with all the children not born of my body, and in my mind, I see another, like a specter of a woman in each picture. Like, I see Imani's mother, and I see the birth mothers of the children that were gifted to, gifted to me by grace. I love these images, and so much more the children that are in them. But with each embrace um, came that reminder that I had failed. And so, well, 14 years into this journey, so we're gonna fast forward. Like that's all the stuff that was going on. And um, after the adoption of three children and a few more losses, 
I conceived again. And these are all my dance minister friends. Like, um, yeah, that's all my, that's my dance ministry ladies. Um, we conceived naturally. Um, I was almost 45 years old. I had zero confidence in my body's ability to pull this off. There had been so many losses and so many tears, and yet here I was in the surprise of this beautiful crisis, midlife pregnancy, right? So that voice, that voice was back and it told me I could not do it. It returned and it screamed my imperfections and reminded me of all the losses each time. All the things that the doctors said were wrong were still wrong. And in a textbook sense, this just should not have happened. Like I said, I was almost 45 and I was scared, scared to lose another baby. But this time, not just for myself, right? Because I already had children and I wanted to bring home to them a living baby, right? I didn't want to break their hearts with my what I would have seen as my failure. So I prayed and everybody in our world that I know um, that knew our story prayed. Um, we would have a completely medical birth. Oh my God, I was like the dinosaur. They called me, you know, advanced maternal age. I was like a dinosaur walking in, like, look at her, you know. Um, I don't think many people held out any expectation from week to week, right? It was just like, we're all kind of on pins and needles to see how this will work out. But we had a planned um, C-section because um, his, I had, the fibroids were back and so they would not allow me to de deliver vaginally, TMI. Anyway, so um, this complicated medical birth happened and with the potential for so many things to go wrong, right? Um, and for my body and my mind to fail, I was scared in a way that feels incompatible with my faith, right? And so I struggled with that. It's like, why are you so scared? You're supposed to be like rejoicing each week. You made it. But I swear, I was under the shelter of God's wing and I was just quiet. I ain't saying nothing, right? <laughs> so I was just scared and that was just true. But here I was. And on September 6th, that's September 6th, 2010, and I'm 34 weeks and four days pregnant and my water broke while we were watching TV on a futon in our family room. <laughs> and a day was delivered by C-section the next morning. I've got this magnificent Red Sea parting scar on my belly that is my proof of that experience and I'm learning to wear it proudly. But I wish I had pictures. You know how now everybody embraces their pregnancy and they have all their maternity photo shoots and stuff. And I don't have any of that. I was too scared. I'm going to be honest. I was too darn scared. I wish I'd felt confident enough in my body to believe so boldly. But nah, your girl was quiet. I just couldn't. And there's a day that next morning. We both made it. So this is me now. And the story of my body is one you could easily miss, right? I look so happy in all the pictures and in most of them, I seem so self-assured. 
but there was pain and hurt and worry over a body that a voice inside me told me was never good enough, was never um, able to do and perform. It had limitations, like serious and deep limitations. And so this whole story of like ballerina turned midlife mama is not over. I'm always moving back into my body. Um, Hillary McBride talks about that. Um, when I struggled with nursing with a day that it came back again, um, I'm learning to, to quiet that voice that says I can't, that my body can't. It's a really annoying voice, um, but it's one that I've lived with and have learned to silence when I need to, because sometimes you gotta keep moving. And gosh, being a parent, I have learned that I have to keep moving. Sometimes I don't have time for that voice. Um, but I also know the abundance of grace that carried me through all of that, right? And have learned compassion, right? A kind of seeing for the hard things that we live through, things that cannot so easily be discerned. And so I think about times like when I, get on the train and I'd sit down and I'd be sitting down next to a pregnant woman. And this was a time when I really so wanted to be pregnant. And it, deep inside, I'd be like crying. But on the outside, I look like I'm fine and I'm going to work and I'm living life. But there's a brokenness and it's that kind of invisible thing that nobody can see. Um, they're just not so easily discerned. And I think one of the things I learned, I know one of the things I learned from this whole experience is one, um, just being grateful for my body that it even carried me through this because I was on an, um, an operating table many times and I don't have to necessarily be here, right? And that I still can dance and that I still do love dancing and that um, my body is good, right? I'm always moving back into it. So these days I know I still know movement as a spiritual practice. And on my yoga mat now, I know the body affirming, loving, and gentle space I need to stay engaged and to continue to heal from, as I mentioned, what Oprah Winfrey called, what happened to you? I'm healing from what happened to me. I am indeed a spiritual being having a physical journey, right? A human physical journey. And for the most part, it's been good. So I wanna invite you to um, a reading of a poem and we're just gonna sit and be quiet. This poem is called Blessing the Body. And I'm gonna invite Aaron to play while I read it. And I want you to just sit as you are in this moment, like just really affirming any and everything about your body but maybe taking into this time just the thought of like, what's your hidden story, right? The story that nobody can see, right? That you walk around with that nobody can see, only you and God know it. And maybe some of the people who love you, but for the most part, it's hidden. And so maybe think and pray about that. But I'm gonna read this and like I said, it's called Blessing the Body and it's by Jan Richardson. Place your feet um, hip width apart, feet flat on the floor. Just take a moment to breathe. 
these bodies, these bodies, these bodies. We are spirit-breathed creation and our bodies are good. They are good. So just for a moment before I even read, just sit in that. Your body tells a story. It really does live an adventure. And just sit with that for a moment. What story does your body tell? Take a few deep breaths here. Feel the rise and fall of your chest. Your, bro your body brought you here to this moment. Your body gifted you with this evening. Your body walked into this door. Your body sits among this group of people. And this group welcomes you as you are. And so I pray this poem, this prayer over you. This blessing takes one look at you and all it can say is holy. Holy hands, holy face, holy feet, holy everything in between. Holy even in pain. Holy even when weary in brokenness holy, in shame, holy, holy still, holy in delight, holy in distress, holy when being born, holy when we lay it down at the hour of our death. So friend, if you've closed your eyes, open them, open them wide. These are holy eyes. And for one moment, see what this blessing sees. See what this blessing, this blessing that knows how you have been formed and knit together in wonder and in love. Welcome this blessing that folds its hands in prayer when it meets you. Receive this blessing that wants to kneel in reverence before you. You who are temple, sanctuary, home for God in this world. May this prayer, may this blessing be so over you tonight and every night. Amen.